Hello from Clio Cloud Conference 2018 in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm Joe Patrice. And I'm Ed Walters. And I'm Michael Sander. And we're on the road with the Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thanks for joining us on the road. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here in the Crescent City. Today, we're talking about data and analytics and uh, all the fun things you can do with that. But before we get started, we'd like to thank our longtime sponsor, Clio, whose conference is being featured in this series of episodes, so that's pretty timely. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, why not check out their conference for real, along with 1,500 other legal professionals at next year's 2019 Clio Cloud Conference, which we still don't know where it is, but we will soon. <laughs> For more information, visit cleocloudconference.com. That's C-L-I-O cloudconference.com. Now let's get to it. So thanks for joining us, guys. We're going to start off with just some bios and find out like how you ended up in this crazy place uh, <laughs> in the legal landscape. Yeah, I'm Ed Walters. I'm the CEO of Fastcase. I teach the law of robots at Georgetown University Law Center and at Cornell Tech. Uh, and I'm the editor of the just-released book, data-driven law. My name's Michael Sander. Um, let's see, I was an engineer for a few years and then uh, became a lawyer, practiced law for a while, and then actually started uh, Docket Alarm while I was a practicing attorney. That little kind of side project turned into a company and kind of did that full-time for about two, two and a half years. And during that period, I met Ed and Phil, his uh, co-founder of Fastcase. And we started, I mean, we had very, very similar visions. And uh, it became obvious that we should join up and Fastcase acquired Docket Alarm in uh, January 2018. Cool. So, you all, well, I mean, you just had a talk, and what did you talk about? Well, we were talking about maps. Yes. Yeah, kind of the history of maps, mostly from the traveler's perspective. So, before there were maps, people got lost a lot. You know, people wouldn't know when they set out on a journey if they would have enough money to get where they were going, or whether they would survive the trip, right? And maps democratized those trips, and made more people willing to travel, like they made travel less risky. And so the, the analogy here is pretty obvious, right? So in law, we similarly don't have a lot of information about litigation, about transactions, about how much things are gonna cost or how long they're gonna take. And so there's a lot of risk in legal services. And that's probably why like four out of five people with legal problems don't address them through the legal services market. And just in the way that maps democratize travel and made more people willing to travel and made travel less risky. Data analytics, information about uh, litigation, information about contracts, information about what happens, makes legal services less risky for clients. And so I was trying to uh, think about this from the perspective of a traveler mm -hmm. and from the perspective of a client and what that means for legal services. So just as, a, as an example, clients ask lawyers all kinds of questions. How much is my case worth? Are we going to win? Yeah. How much is this going to cost me? How long? And is we it never take? know. Yeah. yeah. So we as lawyers don't really have any good answers to that. We have our own individual experiences, right? But we don't have good data about what the answer is. These are data questions, right? Should I take the settlement offer? It depends. Are you going to yeah. win the case if you go to trial? Is it a high settlement offer or a low settlement offer compared to cases like this? But we don't have the data to answer those questions. So the idea is to use data analytics, like information about what happens in cases like this one to take some of the risk out of law for clients 
And I think it will expand the market for legal services. More people will hire a lawyer if there's less risk involved. It seems kind of obvious. I mean, this is why we're working with Michael and Docket Alarm in the first place, right? Because Docket Alarm has captured over 250 million documents and millions of different docket sheets, a lot of stories about what these journeys look like, what happens in litigation, who wins and who loses, how it goes. And so for the first time, people can understand ahead of time what's likely to happen. It's interesting you, you focus on the client, because a lot of times when I have these conversations about analytics, everyone's talking about making the firm better off. Uh, you as a firm are going to know what to do. You as a lawyer are going to know what to do. And you put the spotlight back where it probably should always be on the client themselves. Well, I, I think that firms will make more money when they use analytics. Mm -hmm. They'll win more beauty contests when they use analytics. But that is not the point. Mm -hmm. uh, in the keynote at the cloud conference this year, Jack Newton said, one of the reasons we have this big latent market is one of the reasons we have an access to justice gap. Isn't that lawyers are too expensive? It is that we have a product market fit problem. The thing we're selling is not what clients want to buy. And the risk profile of legal services, it's going to cost you 770 bucks times the number of hours it takes me to finish, is not what clients will want to buy. Yeah. And so we need to use data to understand these matters better, what they cost, whether we're likely to win, in order to fix that product market fit. And when we do, we will serve more clients. It is for the benefit of clients. But I mean, if you're a lawyer and you serve more clients, you're going to make more money. Everyone's better off. And these aren't even hard things to do. We were just talking, like some, some gentleman came up to us after the end of the talk and you know, all it takes is uh, just an Excel spreadsheet and going through your documents and figuring out, hey, listen, I have a thousand settlements that we've done over the past 10 years. This is how much, how much each settlement was worth. And then you can start coming up with an average. Yeah, no, and at the end of it, then you can just give your clients something so much more you know, substantial than, yeah, I think this is a good case, or I think this is a bad case, or it's, just, it's above average or below average, and the client's wondering above average of what, right? Um, and, but actually showing them here, we've done a thousand of these types of cases. Yours is a lot weaker than our average of, you know, an average settlement of these types of cases is $30,000. So you'd be lucky to get 15. And that's something that's just much, much more powerful than saying, you know, good or bad. And Joe, we're, we're you know, Fast case and docket alarm sell a product like this, but you yeah. don't need to buy a product that does it. I mean, if you want to, we'd love for yeah. you to, but <laughs> you can pull this stuff out of your billing system. Mm -hmm. How much does it cost when you do matters like this? How much does it cost up to this stage and up to that stage as a guide for what's going to happen in the future? You don't even have to say, like, this is your fixed fee engagement. You can say, you know, here's what the distribution looks like. The average is $36,000, the mean is $38,000. There's a few cases that are outliers that have these kinds of facts. Yours isn't one of them. So I'm telling you that I think it's going to come within this band. I'm not guaranteeing it, right? Yeah. Of course, if you do guarantee it, you're going to win the business every time. You could even say, like, the average is $36,000. I'm going to bid this out at, like, $40,000. Right. But I'm going to do it at a fixed fee. And clients will pay more than the average for the guarantee if you take the risk off, especially corporate clients who can budget it when yeah. they say... In 2019, I'm going to budget $40,000 for this, and I don't care if you can do it for cheaper. I know what the budget is. It's not going to blow up on me. I am willing to pay more for certainty, and I'll pay a premium for uh, less risk. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, there's one thing, like, like you said, you could get this sort of thing out of uh, billing records, though that's one thing about 
the products are that it democratizes this a little bit because you can pull it out of a billing, out of your billing if you are a lawyer who's done millions of these cases, right? Yeah. And if you aren't the lawyer who's done millions of these, you can't really learn too much from your own billing. Right. Uh, you need something else. So in other areas like, uh, so, you know, identifying settlements, it's kind of relies on confidential data, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, or, you know, billing records, it's obviously confidential for most attorneys. Um, but other areas are not confidential. For right. example, like, you know, in the public litigation space, like the, the genesis of Docket Alarm actually began with me uh, in an Excel document, mapping out every single, it was basically a new court that was newly formed in 2012. And, you know, previously when you filed a case, you would send out an email to, you know, the whole firm saying, hey, who has experience in this particular jurisdiction or in front of this judge? But this was a brand new court. There was no one had any experience. I mean, in the world had experience there. So what we did is we just read every single pleading going into that court uh, every single time anyone wrote anything and put it into big Excel, tracking the cases, how long did things take? Um, and pretty soon that became very unwieldy. That Excel document right. was unmanageable um, and that kind of was what is able to turn into a product. Uh, but really, I mean, for many of these types of situations, all you need is some patience, um, good analytical skills, and a good command of Excel. I mean, this is, this is what maps were like in the early days. So, like individual people who made the trip, or navigators, would write down their experience. Right. And if you had good maps, you would collect the experiences of like 10, 12, 30 navigators. And the maps weren't perfect, but they were better than nothing. Right. And that's sort of where we are today. Mm -hmm. People can start pulling the data out of their billing system, out of their settlement history, out of their matters, whatever, right? You started to be able to see things from the sky. In World War I, uh, the Army actually put pigeons in the sky with primitive cameras on them to take pictures of the battlefield from the air. And I, I thought, sort of think about that like in fast case or docket alarm, the first time you can see like a 30,000 foot view of what's happened in these other cases, right? It's not perfect. We don't have all the data that we'd want today, but a lot of this stuff, you know, it's not unknowable, it's just unknown. Yeah. And when you start to look at things like rolled up in the aggregate, it's not perfect information, but it's pretty damn good information. One of the question, uh, questions in, during your talk, someone came up and said like, well, you know, the particular area of law I work in, there's so many details that like, you know, can possibly be, you know, boiled down to some factors that are, can be analyzed so easily. And I think your response was really on point because you said, yeah, absolutely, there's no, we're not going to be able to, you know, predict every single last element of this case, um, of your, of your, you know, cases that are very, very human factor driven. Uh, but when you zoom out and you see thousands of them, trends appear, like they just smack you, smack you across the face. When Bill James uh, first said you could do this with baseball, yeah. everyone said, you're nuts. Right. You can't tell what the hustle of an individual player is going to be. You can't read their heart. Yeah. The human factors are too great. You're a kook, mm -hmm. right? And he was a little bit of a kook, right. but there was some <laughs> truth in that. When you roll up the, the aggregate statistics, they really tell you something, you know? And if you're, if you're running a team with statistics and you know it and stats are important, you're going to do better than teams that don't have them. And even though there's a lot of human judgment involved, knowing the stats helps, Yeah. right? And so just like that in litigation, if you don't have any maps, when you go into battle with somebody who has maps, you're going to lose. Yeah. If you're in baseball and you have a money ball team playing a non-money ball team, chances are pretty good you're going to lose, yeah. right? And so every little bit of strategic advantage matters in litigation. Data is going to tip the scales in a lot of cases. And so I think in addition to helping clients, it's going to help clients strategically as well. They're going to win a lot more cases 
in the presence of data, even if it's not perfect data. Right, and that's a good example of just you know public data, though. I mean, that's something that you don't need to rely on confidential settlement records or um, or, or you know confidential billing information that comes right out of the public record. So. I want the settlement data too, though. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yes. know how it's going to happen, but sooner or later we're going to find ways of opening up some of the settlement data to understand that better. Mm -hmm. That's the holy grail. I, I think that because so many cases in litigation settle, mm -hmm. it would be great to sort of see how they settle, for how much and when. Yeah. It's not just litigation, though. I mean, contracts and oh, yeah. you know, commercial transactions and stuff, they all have their own data sets, too. Well, cool. So before we close it out, the one last question is, if our listeners would like to follow up, how could they reach you? You can find my geekery about coffee and whiskey and baseball and legal analytics and startup life uh, on Twitter at EJ Walters uh, with an S at the end or at fastcase.com. And I'm not as quite a prolific Twitter user as Ed, but uh, my Twitter handle is Speedplane. I used to be a big Speedplane uh, nerd, uh, and you can just reach me by email. It's michael at docketalarm.com. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining us today, both to the guests and to those of you listening. We want to thank you all for tuning in, and please rate us on Apple Podcasts, because that's the way in which more people will get to hear this podcast and uh, I'm just I'm stumbling because I know I'm gonna have to read the corniest thing ever <laughs> do well, it well we've reached the end of the road on oh. today's episode <laughs> thanks everybody for listening read above the law cool bye if you'd like more information about what you've heard today please visit legaltalknetwork.com subscribe via iTunes and RSS find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free legal talk network app in Google Play and iTunes the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.